0: Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Uh, greetings and uh, welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by Tim Foster, my colleague. Hi, John. And by our special guest, Assemblyman Mike Gibson of the 64th District, a Democrat. Um, and Mike, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me, John and Tim. It's a pleasure to be on your show. You know, uh, looking through your, uh, background there, I see your chair of the select committee on infectious diseases, which strikes me as like right now, it's kind of the place to be. So, uh, what does that entail? Being chair of that committee, what does that entail? What kind of issues are you looking at?
2: Well, we look at a lot of issues around infectious diseases. Uh, First of all, I'm very grateful that Speaker Anthony Rendon, prior uh, to me being elected uh, to any office, recognized the work I was doing around HIV and AIDS. Um, And so we've been, now since I've been here since 2014, I've been working to making sure the resources and awareness around HIV and AIDS, but also hepatitis A, B, C, and D, um, as well uh, are recognized and also fully funded. Um, with understanding in our state and in our communities, especially with communities that I hit most hard with. And so we deal with, again, infectious diseases, certainly this pandemic is something that we uh, have dealt with um, uh, on a broader level, working with uh, my colleagues in the health committee um, in this space. Um, and so it gives me a very broad perspective um, to be able to, um, one, promote and also educate our community and also fight for resources in the state budget to making sure that the, the state has a focus and a purpose in these particular areas. Were you, were
1: you were you chair of that committee before the pandemic hit? Did that predate? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yes, so absolutely. Before, okay. So before we got COVID-19 to death here, uh, you're involved in other issues that came up for the same communities you're talking about now, right? Absolutely. I was, I've been the chair of the select committee since two, I believe it's was
2: 2016. And so oh, we've wow. been working um, in this space um, in terms of infectious diseases, trying to get, promote, educate, and also make creating resources through our state uh, budget process to those, to communities that are heavily impacted um, that are hit to making sure that they're, they have resources to combat these um, infectious diseases.
0: You know, um, with all the attention that's been paid to COVID-19, do you see anything that's been put in place during the pandemic to treat uh, these kinds of diseases that might stay in place and be valuable going forward uh, that, you know, that didn't exist earlier?
2: Absolutely, I mean, you know, we're going through our budget process right now. There's a lot of money um, that um, is being directed towards this pandemic. And as a result of this pandemic, what is now um the unintended consequences as a result which leads me to my assembly bill 1038. Uh, we realize this pandemic has further uh, r- risen um, to the awareness of communities of color being disenfranchised by the lack of resources so i wrote a bill assembly bill 1038 uh, that was approved by the health committee um, and i want to underscore uh, it passed by 14 to one vote, okay? Um, now that bill is on its way to appropriation. Um, and so this is called the California Health Equity Program Fund. And what this does, it creates um, it creates a com- a, a particular uh, committee with funding streams about $180 million focused on and tailor-made to the most heavily impacted communities of color to making sure that they have the resources that they need, partnering with already existing clinics. Um, uh, we're talking about uh, community clinics. We're talking about a uh, tribal organization, local health departments um, that's focus on underserved communities and getting them these resources so that we can turn the corner, write a new narrative um, that uh, communities that have been further disenfranchised by this pandemic. Now, I want to underscore, Tim, that before the pandemic, this was an issue. Now, after this pandemic, it's still going to be an issue. Um, when you look at communities of colors who are who, who are very apprehensive, especially when it, when this pandemic first hit, um, uh, African Americans, especially with underlying health conditions and health issues, um, were subject to this uh, COVID nineteen on a greater level. Uh, once we everyone is inoculated, we're going to still have these, these issues. And so that's why it's important for us to have the $180 million. That's why it's important that we put these resources in community-based organizations' hands, community clinics, tribal organizations, local health departments to address some of these morbidity rates
1: that's taking place in our community. Uh, given the last few few weeks, I think, the state budget seems to be in a better position than it was in before. It's been up and down. It's been a roller coaster now it's looking good. So is 180 million. I know that was price tag. That was a dollar amount of fixed originally, at least on the bill, as I read it, is that still in there? It is still in there. Absolutely. That, that dollar amount is still in there. And
2: again, I wonder also, this has never been tried before. This is absolutely new. Uh, We're going to try something we've never tried before. We're going to focus on communities because of the data. And let me just simply suggest the data According to analysis that were actually um, um, discovered and revealed local health disparities, when you look at people who live in Brentwood, residents who live in Brentwood live 12 years longer, underscore longer, than people who live in the Watts community, 12 years longer than people who live in Watts. And then you look at Compton, Compton residents are twice as likely to die earlier than Um, other people who live in parts of the county of Los Angeles. And so we have to do something that we've never tried before and uh, put into places and partnerships and resources that we've never done before. Um, And so we're trying this right now. Understand that it is my belief um, that we all know that racism exists, especially in public uh, health, um, during this public health crisis. We want to write a new narrative. We want to change those dynamics. We know that Uh, this impacts um, communities of color and it affects people's, how they live, how they learn, how they work and how they worship. This creates, uh, you know, and focus on disparities, disparities that have been brought out after research after research, that clearly delineates in these communities uh, who have been hard hit that we should be focusing resources and partnering with community-based organizations that already exist to help us achieve the goal that we want to achieve. And that is making sure that that we address um, housing and food insecurities, which is absolutely important. Um, Unemployment instabilities, under-resourced schools for childcare, community violence and hate crimes, and also environmental justice. So we believe we're on the right track um, at the right time um, implementing and fighting for the right method in order to change this, je- this trajectory.
1: One of the things that happens uh, in Sacramento frequently with programs that have grants is that people want to be assured the grants are eyeballed pretty closely. And there's a lot of dough in this bill. So in terms of accountability and how the money's going and who's getting what, what kind of, uh, you know, is there somebody taking a look at this and saying yes or no, this is good or bad, if it gets approved?
2: We will have, a, it'll be an oversight committee it'd be an oversight committee to making sure that <clears throat> every bell, every whistle, um, every dollar is accounted for. And we hold people accountable. Um, why is this important? Because, uh, we believe when we talk about the taxpayers resources, uh, we want to make sure that it's spent, um, in a very, very prudent way, but very methodical and strategic way to help the most vulnerable people, um, in our community. And I also wanted to underscore John that for me, You know, I represent the 6th poorest district in the state of California, the 6th poorest district that was pre-COVID. Now, while we're in COVID, I'm sure I moved from 6th to probably the 5th or 4th. Not to mention, I I have the second most highest um, um, unemployment rate because of this pandemic has shattered people's lives. And this is our attempt to try to, again, turn the corner and address a lot of health disparities, um, whether it's diabetes, hypertension, obesity, uh, asthma, heart disease, we know this very prevalent when it comes down to <clears throat> um, um, African Americans as well as Latin- the Latino communities, and also some indigenous people who live among us that have these disparities. And we want to turn the corner and we want to write a new narrative. We can't have two Californians, two Californians, people who have the best and the people who are, are, who don't have anything at all, right? Um, we have food deserts, we have food insecurities in our communities, but we have other parts of California who are not worrying about food insecurities or housing or unemployment instability. Um, and so we wanna to try to level the playing field um, across the Californians, especially with a strong emphasis on those um, underserved communities
1: of color. Can you can you use your position as uh, caucus chair? You're chair of the Democratic caucus in a legislature that's run by guess who democrats so it seems to me you're in a pretty good position to do some whipping and to do some leveraging of your colleagues and so are you able to do that and where, where are they on this just when you you know in your conversations you talk to them they like uh, 1038 or not well i think with it coming out of the health committee 14 to one it's who is a the flirting? one by the way <laughs>
2: um I, i'm i'm I think it was a Republican colleague of mine. I'm not <laughs> it sure. embarrassed. It's okay. It's only the podcast. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not sure uh, who that, who that individual was at, at, at this time. Now I okay. forgot, but I'm very excited. There was 14. It was 14 to one. Okay. And again, it shows uh, by this bill is bipartisan and we have individuals who are Republicans who believe in this bill because they make up It's not just one a Republican that's in the health committee, um, and it has more than one person. And yeah. so, I just simply say that um, we have some. Uh, is people are very motivated, and also, what's going with the climate that we're here in, in California? It's about equity, and we're talking and we're preaching equity. And so, this creates equity uh, in a real serious way. And again, we're trying something we never tried before, and we want to evaluate this um, and see how it how it works. And so we believe that the people, that the money and the resources are targeted are worth fighting for. And we're going to make sure that we fight and get this bill on the governor's
1: desk. You think um, it's a it's a better idea to set this up the way the bill proposes as a program within a state office? Or is it better to have a state running this itself in, in terms of public accountability? And we can you know, we have elected officials who would be in tra- and appointed officials in charge of this. Is it better to have a program or should this be a state operation? I think we need the
2: the oversight that I made mention of is absolutely critical. It's critical one because we, we can touch it, we can fill it, we can have the report back that's necessary to the legislature. Um, we can tweak it if we need to tweak it. Um, so it's it's absolutely uh, imperative that one it has oversight um, that where we can watch it and also hold people yeah. accountable. So that's the
1: model in which I'm favoring. That's the model within this bill. We've heard uh, a lot lately. And I hope it's true that we're sort of emerging, we're on the downside of this pandemic, at least in California, that the numbers are getting better. Uh, but I seem to recall that happening before, numbers got better, then they got worse. It was up and down. It was sort of a escalator up and down kind of thing. And I'm wondering, what's your take on looking forward here now? Do you have any thoughts, not only for the state, but for your district as to how we emerge from this? Well, I think we emerge um, from this together.
2: Um, not one person, but everyone doing this together. And so what you've seen is the we, the daily periodically updates um, when it comes down to people getting the vaccines. They're doing away with these super sites. They're going into community. Uh, there's still a little apprehensiveness. And I want to be very clear, there still is. But we're trying to tear down those walls of misunderstanding. Um, it didn't help us to have the Johnson and Johnson, um, that pause, because it gave pause to people's lives. And what we're trying to do is re-educate people to, to have trusted voices out there. I mean, understand, I represent a, a six-four district in, in the state of California. I represent Watts, Willowbrook, where I was born and raised. I represent Carson, Compton, um, Wilmington, uh, North Long Beach, Linwood, Gardena, and all also torrents, right? And so it's about trying to educate people as we go uh, and bring them along to this narrative so we can get back to way life w- once was before this pandemic entered into our life. I want to be able to celebrate uh, Christmas this year, Thanksgiving, and all the other holidays and the birthdays that I missed um, from 2020. Uh, 2021, I believe that this, the sunlight is going to break through the rain that we've experienced, and we're going to have brighter days ahead of us. But we do this together, and I believe the governor is working in an extremely hard fashion to make sure. But he's been very prudent. I want to I want to underscore he's been very, very prudent not to make a mistake, not to be um, be bullied by political pressure to open up the state um, prematurely, making sure that, one, that we stay the course of the examples for other states. Um, we just had uh, Florida saying, no more masks, no more social distancing. Is that prudent? Uh, you know, look. last look, you know, everyone
0: really and, is known for prudence, frankly.
2: Yeah, this, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm just saying it's, it's being wise it is, and it's absolutely being prudent and methodical by having trusted voices, advisors around uh, him um, and others to making these decisions. And so broader days are yet ahead of us. Um, we believe that everyone um, um, that 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 will be inoculated will be inoculated, and, and this will be um, part for the history books.
0: Speaking of uh, inoculations, uh, we're seeing that there seems to be some hesitancy among people that have not been inoculated yet, and I know they're uh, sort of refocusing their efforts on getting people to get vaccinated. How is that going in your district? Do you have any sense of? Uh, how the, the folks in your district are responding to the, the possibility of getting vaccinated? Are there numbers where you wanna see them? Do they need to improve? Are there plans in place for that?
2: <laughs> well, in my district, let me say, when we hosted our first uh, vaccination site location, um, we, from the, the first hour we hit send on emails, we had over 300 people within the first, I think, three hours Warning appointments to get the Johnson Johnson vaccine. We are planning another uh, site for people to come and get inoculated. And we're providing information. Um, I'm on the radio on KJLH um, uh, radio station um, talking about um, you know, why it's safe. I'm trying to be that trusted voice that people are looking to to um, help them make their decision. And so we are talking to pastors, to our religious leaders, um, which they're doing the same exact thing. They're stepping up and getting themselves inoculated and talking about it within their churches through Zoom um, and other trusted voices and bringing them along so we can, one, make sure that my community is fully back vaccinated. And so again, so we can start getting back to normal. So there's a strong push from my side, as well as other electeds and whether uh, other community leaders are pushing
1: on a daily basis, to trying to make sure that everyone, no one is left behind. And everyone. The question, there, the question there then was, was whether the vaccine was available. If it was available, people would want to get it. Unlike, I know we saw last year in Orange County, where lots of people, mostly white, on the beaches and the surfers and et cetera, et cetera, were railing against vaccination and railing against Newsom. That kind of sentiment wasn't in your in your district. What you saw was people wanted the vaccine if they could get it. Right. They, right, right. People wanted the vaccine if they can get it. Um, we we know there
2: was a shortage of vaccines at one time, um, and that's not you know the the narrative now. And so we want to make sure that we get, um, you know, vaccines in people's arms. And now you're going to see a huge push where we would have pop up tents, if you will, on, you know, corners and uh, not quite corners, but just uh, just imagine um, other places just so it can make it more accessible to people. Um, employers. Um, I We we inoculated the Crystal Park Casino. All the employees came over and got inoculated 24 um, hour fitness and and uh, Lowe's and other places, their employees are coming over. Um, so we're partnering with those companies and corporations to say, if your people have n- not been inoculated, we want you to send them over to our location mm-hmm. so they can get um, inoculated. We don't want any, any, anyone to waste any vaccines, to have to throw them away because there's a lack of people. We want people to get it and we want people to get it in their arms so that they
1: can turn the corner so we can get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything or heard anything on the federal side what we can expect, what your district can expect from the Biden administration in terms of them getting involved. They said publicly they will. We expect better funding than we ever had through the Trump administration, but how does that actually play out on the street and in dollars? I see uh, uh, the Biden administration um, stepping
2: up in a very, very large way. Um, Continue to be there, uh, uh, a source of resources for us. Um, We think we have, not, we don't think. We know. We have uh, two very strong advocates, which are in are U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein and also U.S. Senator Alex Padilla, who comes from California. Not to mention, the last time I checked, the vice president's home is still here in California. And so uh, just with that. Uh, that entree and that team uh, fighting on behalf of resources coming to California, which is, you know, not a small state. It's a very large state that we want to get the resources that we absolutely need. Um, The the Biden administration has worked and will continue to work with um, this governor and the leadership in order to make sure that we have the resources that
1: California needs in order to uh, support the people of the state of California. What do you think the next thing is, the most important thing the state can do right now in terms of addressing these issues that you've raised? What should the state be doing right now, even as we speak? One, pass Assembly Bill 1038.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that one. Uh, also, Who's the author um, of that
1: bill again? I didn't hear.
2: <laughs> um, it's Mike Gibson. Mike Gibson. <laughs> uh, proud author. Also making sure we don't just not just pass to build that the funding mechanism um, is there as well which is 180 million dollars which is absolutely critical and vital to us really addressing these health disparities and the communities that have been hit hard based on again food insecurities housing and the things that i've named before and so um, we also need to make sure that we create we have opportunity to um, not only open up but also making sure that the Small businesses are taken care of. The governor's, the governor, Newsom has pledged, I think a week ago, was in Los Angeles announcing and signing a bill into law uh, that's going to provide additional resources um, to our small businesses. And that's absolutely critical. We have some small businesses that can never open up again. They're out of business. But for the ones who weathered the storm, we want to be able to come up and support those small businesses. And when we support those small businesses, the the, the obligation is that you hire those individuals who once worked for you. Bring those individuals back because we believe there's a responsibility and also put those people to work. And that's we just opened up Disneyland just last week. It's the happiest (laughs) place in the world, right? I heard people were
1: crying. They were crying tears of joy as they were waiting in the Disneyland line, you
2: know? (laughs) People were crying. But again, baseball stadiums, other venues are now opening back up and that's a great sign of one, and it's a compliment to our governor. Um, Then two, it's a sign that we're getting back because we're doing what we have to do in order for us to get back to where life once was before this pandemic. And so, you know, I, I continue to fight uh, on the state level for resources for uh, vaccines. I'm mean, in my own community. We are absolutely um, meeting and talking with uh, healthcare experts as well as the governor's people on a weekly basis to making sure that, they, that the focus and the emphasis are on communities of color, especially those on um, which I represent. And so they have absolutely been a great partner to partner with and to work with.
0: Right. You know, one last thing uh, our, our listeners can't see, but your backdrop is a uh, justice for Angelo Quinto. Can you can you talk about that a minute? Do you have something to talk about? that? Absolutely. Tim, you thank you
2: very much. much. I was going to make mention of that. I'm glad. So Angelo Quinto uh, was a young man who served this country as a United States Navy man. Uh, he lived in Antioch, California. Like a lot of our military brothers and sisters, they have suffered with some trauma. Uh, Angelo Quinto um, on December 26th, of 2020 had a, a mental crisis. Um, his sister called 911 to try to have police come and respond to de-escalate the situation. As a matter of fact, they escalated the situation. Um, they restrained uh, Mr. Quinto, Angelo, by putting their, their knee on his neck and remained there for five minutes. Angelo lost unconsciousness. Angelo died Um, uh, three days later and all this was done in his home in front of his mother and his sister. And so Angelo died uh, at the hands of Antioch police. Now my bill, Assembly Bill 1196 that banned those techniques went in effect three days after Angelo was killed. Uh. January the 1st, 2021 my bill, the governor signed to law 1196 went in effect. Now, Assembly Bill 490, which now I named it the Angelo Quinto Act of 2021, it will ban and prohibit law enforcement from blocking or uh, restricting someone's ability to breathe. So any technique that you can apply that blocks or restricts someone's ability to breathe, my bill, Assembly Bill 490, will prohibit you from doing that. Everyone deserves to breathe. You can still restrain them. you You can still arrest them. Um, you can still do all those things that we're simply saying in Assembly Bill 490, you can't stop a person's ability to breathe. That's all we're saying in this bill. And so this bill passed the Assembly uh, Public Safety Committee. And now it's in the Appropriation Committee that we hope this bill gets out of appropriation and on the fourth floor of the state assembly. So I can bring forth this debate to my colleagues. Um, on the full floor and get that this bill out of the assembly and on the Senate uh, for a robust conversation with the senators. And so we
1: we do this and we name this bill in honor of Angelo Quinto. Fair enough. Great. Solomon Gibson, thank you so much. Mike, thank you for being here and chatting with us today. Uh, well, thank Foster, you very thank much. You. Mike, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. And thanks for chatting with us. And Tim Foster and I are now going to talk about the person who had the worst week in California politics, it's a, a man named Walter Wong, who has been described in the San Francisco Chronicle as a permit expediter or permit consultant. He just had to refund about a million and a half bucks in money that he had received in return for his services, helping people get permits through City Hall, uh, dealing with such things as construction, utilities, you name it. He's kind of He's sort of in the middle of all this. So we picked him because a million and a half bucks is not chump change. And he's already been indicted on other charges. This, though, is, I think, a signal of his cooperation in a continuing ongoing saga of corruption in San Francisco City Hall. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Does Does he make the list or should we be looking at somebody else?
0: I think he's a good call. I mean, the only other person I would say could even really be on in the same ballpark. Caitlyn Jenner did not have a great week. Uh, I mean, I think there's been a lot of uh, a lot of questioning of her answers. Uh, the did she vote? Did she not vote? Uh, why is she saying she voted? Uh, or excuse me, why is she saying she didn't vote if she actually did? Uh, not a good week. But hey, didn't cost her a million and a half bucks. She's not under indictment. So I would say uh, Mr. Wong is is taking the cake.
1: Just, you know, parenthetically on Caitlyn Jenner, why isn't she getting traction, do you think? I mean, she's getting a lot of media coverage because there's really nobody else to cover in the recall. She's got a certain celebrity status. And of course, in recall elections, that counts for something. So what's with Caitlyn Jenner? Is there some magic charisma there I'm missing or is there something
0: else going on? I mean why is she getting any traction at all or why is she not getting more traction i mean why is she getting so much coverage she's clearly not getting
1: traction as far as i can tell but unless the polls their polls showing something else but
0: why is she getting so much coverage well i think she's the most famous person in uh In the race, I mean, you know, many, many, many years ago when she was still known as Bruce Jenner, uh, she was on a Wheaties box. No one else on a Wheaties box is running for governor here in California. Uh, And and, you know, she was affiliated with the TV show, which I hate to say I'm really not that familiar with reality TV, but I think her family members were all on this TV show. And, uh, you know, she's she is a celebrity. People love celebrities. God knows why. I wonder if she
1: was running. Uh, for governor on this recall uh, amid this recall movement, as Bruce Jenner, if she'd have more traction.
0: You know that's a good question. I don't know that we'll never, we'll ever be able to answer that. Yeah, Yep. Yeah. Well, there you have it. We have Caitlyn Jenner,
1: and we have Walter Wong. Uh, I think they're sort of running neck and neck for worst week in California politics. But um, we'll offer them both to you. You take your picks. So, uh, Tim Foster, thank you very much. Uh, this Thanks, John. You know, Take care. We'll see you
0: next time around and uh, see you later. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.